Lenders, on this week's show, we're going to discuss James Gunn and Peter Safran being named the head of DC Studios and what that means for the future. We're going to react to the new Ant-Man trailer and Ron freaking Howard joins the show. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode 234 of Real Blend, a podcast that recognizes that the hierarchy of power in the DC executive offices has changed big time. Okay, what was your joke going to be 45 minutes ago? <laughs> yeah, um, because was, that news just dropped. It just dropped. It was going to be like, uh, I, it wasn't good. I was going to a podcast that's equal parts Sean O'Connell and Ron Howard this week. Oh, he, he did the thank God show. for James Gunn. Yeah, do a podcast, kind of, uh, podcast <laughs> that's three episodes away from room 237. Uh, yes, oh, on this then. week's show, uh, new, the news just dropped as we're recording this. Uh, we will briefly discuss James Gunn and Peter Safran getting um, assigned the head DC film, TV, and animation, which is big news. Uh, we're going to react to the new Ant-Man trailer. And uh, Ron freaking Howard joins the show. Another white Academy He legally winner. changed his middle name to Freakin, by the way. Oh, he uh, uh, his people called me. His people called me. They said, please. Didn't, didn't Ron Howard make a white whale movie? A white didn't whale movie? Heart, Heart of the Ocean? Is that right? The, 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 the one with Chris Hemsworth? Yeah, oh, Daenerys, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Daenerys knows. Was, wasn't Daenerys Tom knows. Holland in that, too? Nah, uh, was he? I don't think he was in a whale movie. I'm Thor was in it. that Tom Holland was in a Ron Howard boat movie. If you couldn't tell, I am filling in for Sean O'Connell. He's doing something that I would get in trouble even if I hinted at. And that's in the heart of the sea. We know what it is. They know what it is. Uh, Sean is very busy um, doing something very cool, which you will hear about many, many months from now. Um, but joining me is Jake Hamilton, Fox 32 Chicago's Jake Hamilton. How are you doing, buddy? My friends, I have to give you guys an update because I just told the boys uh, just moments before we started filming that uh-huh. my mom was watching Barbarian for the mm. first time. Because, you know, everyone in my family is a big horror movie fan. Yeah. Here's the progression of her texts. Like I'm this. watching it. These people are so stupid. <laughs> I'm screaming at the TV. And then the final text is that movie was in all capital letters. Amazing. Oh, yeah. So, so right. Mama Hamilton is a, is a barbarian and fan. I am a Jan Hamilton fan. And I wish you would have done it in the accent, though. That, that's the only <laughs> thing I was <laughs> missing from that. Uh, I normally do. I don't know why I didn't this time. Review. I don't know why I had that, of course, is the voice of the one and only Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, in Washington D.C. Oh, I thought I was going to mess up your guys's. I thought I was going to mix oh. your channel numbers. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not good enough to be, to, to be Kevin. No. Well, good, good, to, good to see you guys. Love you guys. And the Holland movie I was referring to is In the Heart of the Sea with Chris Hemsworth uh, and Tom Holland, directed by Ron Howard. Tom Holland's in it? Yeah. I remember oh, interviewing I do not Tom remember Holland. him in, on, yeah, in that. Yeah. I remember interviewing him at the Junket because it was, it was Chris Hemsworth, uh, Benjamin Walker, Killian Murphy, Tom Holland, Ben Wishaw, and Brendan Gleeson, directed by Ron Howard. Wow. That's a great cast. Uh, that's a great cast. Oh, my God. I, love I, I remember was, liking yeah. it for some reason. Yeah, and honestly, this is a really cool interview because, you know, and we'll get into like, you're going to hear it, but. Well, know, let me, Sean- before, before you set up to it, let me, let me get through the rigmarole, the housekeeping. Of course, if you're watching us on YouTube, like, subscribe, turn on your notifications. Uh, you can find us at youtube.com slash Podcast. We're, of course, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and we also have our premium feed, which gets you ad-free versions of the audio feed. Um, it gets you an extra show on Mondays. It gets you a newsletter from Sean every other week. You can find more info on that in the description. But this week, we're doing another giveaway. Uh, this giveaway is going to be over on Real Blend's Twitter. It's all going to take place on Real Blend's Twitter. 
Um, if you're listening to this now and you didn't see us tweet this out earlier in the week, you can head there. I am I am not going to pull winners until Friday afternoon, um, but we have five codes for Barbarian, of all things. Nice. Five digital codes for Barbarian to give away. We did not give one to my mom. Yeah, I was head about to over, say, do we only have four left? <laughs> no, we did not. Head over to Real Blend's Twitter. Um, it'll be the pinned tweet on our profile. Uh, that'll explain what you need to do um, in order to get a shot at one of those giveaway or one of those codes. Um, and then the afternoon on Friday, if you're listening to us early enough, uh, or if you saw us tweet that, um, I will pick five people at random and uh, you can enjoy an awesome movie. That'll this interview, we're, Kevin. We're so nice. Ron Howard. What were you going to say there, Kev? Oh, we also got, we got to mention we had Zach Kreger on, who was amazing for Barbarian. Yes. And go back and listen to that interview, um, just because if you want some like Easter eggs and nuggets about how he made those movies. But this interview that we're about to toss to with Ron Howard, I mean, I've said this before on the show. We started the show four plus years ago, and it, there was never any intention that we would ever get named guests. Like, you know, we just, you know, started as an award show, as we've said a million times. But our first big guest was Alfonso Cuaron in terms of like a, a director. He was our um, first guest, wasn't it? It's, yeah, and then Zach Penn, him and Zach Penn were yeah. around the same time. Right? Zach Penn was technically first because Zach Penn wasn't really a guest. He was a guest host. Correct. And we, oh, we thought interesting. About, and then we very quickly were like, we're not going to get everybody to stick around for an hour and a half. Zach right. Penn was very gracious enough to give us that amount of time. Um, and and I think unless, unless you're Mike Flanagan or Kevin Smith. <laughs> True. <laughs> and, Zach, and Zach obviously wrote uh, Ready Player One. And yeah. um, he actually wrote. Or, or was part of writing one of my favorite movies, which is Last Action Hero. But in terms yes. of uh, in terms of Ron Howard, you know, there are names that have been on the show. Obviously, the bigger ones from the Tarantinos to the Nolans. And again, that just sounds crazy to even say that. But um, we've had some massive directors on this show. Yeah. Ron Howard is a director that, you know, again, I need us to rewind four years ago and, and say, hey, we're guys, we're going to have Ron Howard on our show. Uh, yeah. I mean, it just sounds insane. And, and um, you know, Sean went down to Savannah to do this interview. Uh, Jake and I were not able to get there and Sean uh, crushed it. And we cannot wait for you to hear this. Um, it, it, one of the things that's I really can't cool, wait to hear. I have not heard yeah. it yet. I, like as of this recording, I haven't I'm like legit just excited to listen to it as like it's people great. actually forget that that a lot of times if one of us can't make it, at, at least I don't know. But for, for me, I usually just hear it for the first time when yeah. the show is published like yeah. everyone else does. Um, so we kind of in and, a way sort of become fans of, of whoever's doing the interview. We also like what's important to note, and it's funny, I, I feel like I've heard the interview, but I haven't heard it either. And, I, and the reason I said that this interview is going to be awesome is because right when Sean was done. So what we do behind the scenes when Sean or somebody is doing an interview alone, we send questions. Mm -hmm. um, Jake and sure. I will send questions or Gabe will we'll all have suggestion ideas. So Sean texted us right after it was over with basically the arc of the interview, which you're about to hear. And I'll tell you right now, if you're a Ron Howard fan, this covers his whole career. So you guys are in for I can, I can confirm it. It's a, it's a fantastic interview. Um, <laughs> what if Gabe came Sean back and was like, I'm going to be honest, guys, it kind of sucks. Uh, no. So a special thank you. This isn't, this isn't sponsored. I know they sponsored the show last week, but the SCAD Savannah Film Festival did um, help us secure this interview. This happened while Sean was at the festival um, over this past weekend, and we would not have been able to get this without them. So a big thank you to them and a big thank you to Ron Howard for taking time out of his day uh, to sit down with Sean. And so without further ado, here's Ron Howard on Real Blend. Wow. 
first off, I want to start just because we are here in Savannah, um, and this is such a hotbed for filmmaking. Have you ever had a chance to film here? I've never filmed in Savannah. Okay. I've visited Savannah a number of times just on personal um, uh, trips and so forth. Uh, and uh, and I really didn't understand until very recently how, how large the program has become at SCAD. Right. And... Um, I always thought of it more as, you know, design, fashion, um, you know, uh, fine art and that kind of thing. Sure. And um, but it's, it, you know, it's really exciting. And, and you can also just feel the energy energy here in Savannah. Yes. And what the school sort of now means to this city. I'm curious um, if there was ever stage in your career where film festivals were influential in terms of maybe getting your work out there. No, I've never been a really a, a festival favorite. Right. Um, and, you know, and because I, I kind of emerged within the mainstream system. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I I've, I've, don't think I've ever had a film in competition at a festival. Oh, really? That's no, so unusual. I don't believe so. Maybe someday. Uh, and uh, uh, but uh, that's a goal for you. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the the um, when you screen at Toronto, kind of, uh, you know, er everything is in. There's a popularity vote. Oh, sure. Uh, and right. I, I think I had a movie that did well there once. Uh, I was going to uh, say, you've probably had a few movies uh, that were in like Oscar contention. Uh, that but uh, um uh, no, I, but I but I recognize how how vitally important and more important than ever festivals are, mm. because in that you know that 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 recent drive to try to cut through the clutter um, more than ever, there's a tendency for the buyers. Mm -hmm. You know the gatekeepers, the executives who have to make these decisions to 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 play it safe. They they don't want to, you know. They know they need to be fresh and they want to be exciting. But when it comes to really pulling the trigger and saying yes to something, mm. they tend to go with what they they see is working out there in the marketplace. Sure. And by the time something's succeeding in the marketplace, it's probably already getting some of the edges kind of rubbed off of it. Sure, yeah. But the festivals are a place where projects can come in and gain profile and filmmakers and showrunners and documentarians can be noticed. Mm. And and it's 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 a, a more a more pure expression of the way they want to tell a story right. and and more importantly the way they see the world, the way they're dealing with certain themes, right. the way um they're depicting culture and human relationships and it's pretty unfiltered uh, and and when one clicks with audiences and the media right. and they say, here's a fresh, exciting voice with a fresh, exciting perspective, that kind of approach to a story becomes a safer bet for those gatekeepers whose careers depend on investing wisely, right? Right, sure, yeah. And, and so that's where I think the festivals are, are just about the only place for those voices to, um, to, 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 to be seen and, and for those ideas and that kind of approach to stories to be validated. Yeah, it's so true. Um, last night we did the Weird Al Yankovic um, biopic, essentially, and the filmmaker afterwards said, I think that was the most honest response that I've gotten because everything else I've gone to has been like Weird Al fans yeah. that came for that show. But this is a mainstream crowd that just loves movies. And so he felt like he got a more a genuine response to how it plays to a crowd like that. Oh, so. well, that's great. I'm eager to see that. Was uh, 13 Lives similar when you just went through it? And Well, I all, all I got was the, uh, the, the very aftermath, okay. which was uh, 
um, you know, extremely positive. <clears throat> 13 Lives is the highest testing movie I've ever had. Oh, really? Even higher than Apollo 13, which okay. was my previous high. And um, and I've had a lot of other movies that, you know, by by sort of testing standards were, you know, very, very successful. But there's there's something about 13 Lives that, um, you know, is is um, and it's the reason I wanted to do the movie is 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 it's the you know, that idea of volunteers who don't have to be even be there. Right. Right. Risking, you know, risking their bodies, risking their 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 um, their psyches, sometimes their, you know, their their careers just simply to try to do the right thing. Um, crossing these these cultural ideological barriers and just getting things done, ignoring politics and just doing it. Um, it's been gratifying. What's exciting to me is that you know there's a there's a lot of um, Thai spoken in the movie, mm-hmm. and there, so therefore here in the U.S. there are a lot of subtitles. Sure, did not hold audiences back from appreciating the movie, no matter where we've tested it. Okay. Uh, and that's incredible. I'm, I mean, to me, that's a turning point. And again, a sign that, um, you know, that uh, that kind of appreciation for cultural authenticity, sure. including hearing the native language just with subtitles. Right. Uh, is kind of moved from festivals uh, kind of into streaming in a big way. Right. Although we've had Crouching Tiger and other movies in the past that really worked uh, but on a broad level, but not very many with the subtitles. And and now Squid Game, Narcos, um, yeah, yeah. you know, Call Your Agent, uh, whatever, yeah. any of those from the streaming world uh, that rely on subtitles that are massive global hits uh, have, have, have trained audiences everywhere. Right. I think – to actually appreciate that cultural authenticity. Peaky Blinders, I put the subtitles on. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. Because yeah. I need them. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I think a lot point. of people do. You're yeah, not alone. For, for sure. Um, the, the filming conditions for something like 13 Lives, I'm so glad you, you tied it to Apollo 13 because it just seems like the claustrophobia that's uh, inherent uh, in the storytelling that you're trying to, to uh, capture there. Uh, are there tricks or tools that you maybe learned on Apollo 13 that still came into play here? Absolutely. There, there were a lot of a lot of parallels um and uh um and it was also an understanding that audiences would really be fascinated by the minutia mm-hmm. the the on a really granular level that people would 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 be curious about things like the gear yeah. that's handmade by the divers and how it what it looks like and you know and 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 how various steps um you know were sort of came to be mm-hmm. And um, the problem solving under duress, right, 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 getting yourself in and out of a of a of a difficult pinch point in a cave, and you know, and all that. So I had confidence based on my experience uh, on Apollo thirteen, and then and then later Rush, yeah, uh, true that that um, you know even people who don't necessarily know anything about it could find the the procedure and the mechanics of it really fascinating so i in my mind i thought well this is about technology applied to a crisis mm. uh, and it's also then about um sort of uh m- mental uh problem solving skills mm. Applied, and that's where that intersection point. And you know, in our movie, we have technology. Some of it's kind of ancient. At some point, they're splitting bamboo to try to make a pipe system right. when they've run out of the of of of, of actual um, you know piping, right? Uh, to try to 
divert water off of the mountainside and and um, and and try to divert the water away from from flooding the caves. Um, and a lot of what the divers do is very mechanically simplistic right. and yeah, basic. Right. But they need to know that it just freaking works. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, right. And so they don't want it to be too fancy. Yeah. They yeah. just want it to be a, you know, really simple mechanically. Um, and then computers factor in. Sure. In places as uh, as well. And all of that meets then the psyches of these individuals who have chosen to volunteer uh, and put themselves in uh, in harm's way or devote a tremendous amount of time mm-hmm. with no guarantees of, of success. In right. fact, they all felt that that huge disappointment was was guaranteed. Right. They right. really were really hoping one or two kids might get out. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. And all of this was to just see if they could even save anybody. Right. And 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 yet they wound up taking all thirteen out. Well, and I'm, this is going to sound like a like a big question, <laughs> um, but what you capture this story is a miracle, you know. And so, at what point in the process do you feel comfortable that you're capturing the weight of the miracle? Is it in the? Is it on the day? Do you get it in the edit? Like it's it's important thing to convey. Well. You know, I actually wrote on my script, Anatomy of a Miracle. No kidding. Because I wanted to take the sort of the most granular look uh, at what was achieved and what it took, all the effort, all the risks that were taken to make a miracle even possible. Sure. Right? To even take a shot at experiencing a miracle. Right. You still had to do, you know, take all of these steps and take all of these risks. Um, you know, filmmaking is kind of an exciting and and and, and alternately frustrating thing um and there are lots of times where you shoot and shoot and shoot and you hope you you hope you got it you think maybe you kind of got it okay and then you get to the editing room and you find out it's wonderful it you know it's everything you need okay you felt rushed you felt compromised and yet somehow you managed to get the moment that you need to, to, to convey an idea. Okay. And that piece of the mosaic really, really works right. and, and it, and it succeeds. Um, and other times you shoot and shoot and you, and you, you, you know, you, you, you get a surge of emotion because you're so satisfied by what it was and you take it to the editing room and, and it underperforms. Right. Uh, right. but, um, but I've done it enough that more often than not now, I'm able to see on the day, oh, that's, we've got what we need. Okay. And I'm able to think editorially as we shoot. Right. Um, and, um, w- which is, uh, um, kind of the way I work. I sort of shoot for the editing room. Okay. Not just blanket coverage, but very specifically thinking about how one thing may cut with another, mm-hmm. uh, or what are my options? I want to create a set of options here. You know, these two angles could cut together to create this kind of moment okay. or, I could extend it by going to another angle mm-hmm. or, you know, that 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 kind of thinking about the sort of the, the rhythm of things and the juxtaposition uh, of the uh, of uh, of images and, 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 and ideas with this one. Um, the the cultural specificity was important. To okay. me. So I would look at a moment and feel like we got it. But I was constantly looking at our co-producers who were Thai. OK. Or key actors who I began to really, really trust would tell me the truth. Okay. Thai people are so polite okay. <laughs> that they don't want to criticize you. Okay. You know, on a cultural level, that's kind of not what they are are, are sort of um, taught to do okay. and feel comfortable doing. But 
some of the actors became confident enough in me that they recognized that I wanted a collaboration. Okay. Um, and um, so I would often turn and say, you know, how are we doing? How will that work for a Thai audience? Mm-hmm. Is that is that does that feel honest to you? And sometimes the answer was not yet quite. Wow. That's great. And and uh, and, and very often, you know, it was yeah, that's that's gonna that's gonna work. I was so but you the the real answer to your question is you don't know until you cut it together and start showing it to audiences. Right. And for us, we didn't know what Thai audiences would really think, even though, you know, we'd occasionally shown it to you know, little clusters of of Thai audience members that we could find, mm. uh, whether in in London where we were editing or back in the U.S. when we were finishing the film there. Um, but we really didn't know until we did publicity in Thailand. Okay. I had to do it remotely. But I'm telling you, it's one of the most gratifying days of publicity that I've ever oh, that's had. Awesome. That's great. Because not only were the journalists positive, but you know, everybody, you know, all of our Thai actors and, and those co-producers, you know, they were assuring me that this was beyond politeness that and, and they were getting texts from friends right. saying, you know, you, you guys really did it. It, it, it really it, this really feels right. And man, that 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 was a, that was a thrilling day for me made it worth all the work yeah <laughs> that went into yeah. it um not to name drop uh, but we were lucky enough to have tom hanks on the show uh for the elvis promotion uh-huh. and uh he was talking about these moments that are these happy accidents uh during filming and i bring it up because uh we're right here in savannah and he was talking about filming the the scenes on the bench for forrest gump mm-hmm. and then when he was shooting them they he considered them just interstitials like he didn't even really think that zemeckis was going to use them kind of thing because he wasn't sure if anyone was going to buy into this guy with the box of chocolates and kind of thing and it ended up becoming what it was, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious if you have a, an example of that, where you shot some stuff and you were like, I don't really know if we're even going to. And then it becomes one of the biggest things that you've, you've ever put out there. Wow. I'm, I'm immediately drawing a blank because there are so many. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It kind of happens all the time in really? one way or another. I'll tell you, there's an example in 13 Lives where we um, – one, one of the actors who's from the northern region – uh, which which is a very different kind of religion. It's still Buddhism, but there's a lot of animism and kind of tr- very traditional, ancient um, uh, religion and 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 uh, uh, um, and sort of pr- spiritual practices mm. at, 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 that are a part of it all. And I had seen in some of the news coverage uh, a ceremony that the parents had been engaged in, mm. and I asked Kage about this, and and uh, um, his. You know, I through an interpreter and so forth, I began to understand what it was. And I and I asked he's also a stage director Mm -hmm. and I asked him if he could actually coordinate with with our Thai actors um, playing the parents, you know, a a scene like that. Okay, And um, he did. It wasn't scripted. Wasn't it wasn't scheduled. Okay, They prepared it. And one day. When I it looked to me like we were going to end a little bit early, I said to Bill Connor for the first AD, "I think we could shoot that scene." And he said, "Yeah, I think we could today. Let's do it. Let's okay. go for it." And we shot it very quickly. It was kind of amazing. And you know, Kage wrote wrote the ceremony and he performed it, and others were playing instruments and so forth. It was beautiful, and yet there was no place to put it in the film. Okay, very frustrating. Sure. But one day, the editor James Wilcox showed me a, a cut of the first day 
when they're going to go in and try to rescue the kids. And there's so much tension and anticipation. We actually have a shot of some parents praying. Okay. But it's not this ceremony. Okay. But he put the audio track oh. from that ceremony okay. over the entire sequence. Mm-hmm. And it became the soundtrack for the beginning of that sequence. And it gave it such kind of primal power. Okay. And the way Kage had performed it was so, you know, honest and emotional that um, it, it, it completely sort of uh, informed the scene and uh, and kind of reinvented it That's in, a, amazing. in a fantastic way. That's outstanding. Um, one of my co-hosts, uh, Kevin McCarthy, I really wish he could be here because um, he has uh, mental health issues. He struggles with them. And he talked about a scene in A Beautiful Mind that he brings up to his therapist all the time, which is Russell Crowe being able to walk past um, Paul Bettany's character and, mm-hmm. and that he hopes that one day he can get to that point where he can just walk past the things that are bothering him in his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wanted me to ask you uh, if that's something you hear often about that film if that has that kind of impact on the audience it's one of the few times that 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 i made a film um and brian grazer instigated that project Mm. he it was it was you know he he found the subject fascinated by the brain and the way the brain works um and uh uh and mental illness and we we both wanted to do it to destigmatize mental health, mm-hmm. so it needed to be entertaining. We we thought it was a great, inspiring story, but we really hoped that underneath it, it would serve this this purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and it's and it and we get feedback to this day, you know, like like the feedback you just gave me, uh, and um, you know, and and it and it, it varies. But it, it boils down to e- using the sort of the language of cinema to to uh, to um, go beyond basic sort of uh, information mm-hmm. and to to create this sort of the empathy of understanding and relatability um, to audiences to general audiences. Right. And I know I've never ever walked or driven by. A person standing on a corner having a conversation with no one, right, uh, and felt the same way about it uh, again because right. I, I I I now have an understanding of what that individual is going through, True. and it's um, you know it's hell on earth. To lighten it up a little bit, uh, we're coming upon thirty years since Splash. <laughs> what does that mean to you to hear that? <laughs> that's a U-turn. But that's my that's my career. You know, when I when I um, I realized I was going to. My dream was going to come true. Mm. I was I was going to have a bona fide career as a filmmaker, and I was going to have you know a modicum of control over what it was that I chose to do. Okay. the The only sort of careerism that came into play in my mind at all was to not be categorized in any one genre, mm. as I'd been categorized as an actor. Okay. I'd oh, been sort of typecast as an actor. Okay. I understood it, you know, why. Mm. But I thought with I love so many different kinds of movies that I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna prove it to myself mm. and to others that um that I can be strong in in, in multiple genres. Okay. And um see it's, it's the only thing that I struggled to do. Uh, and, and, um, um, you know, I wanted to succeed all along. I didn't want to take, you know, I didn't want to take, um, you know, be reckless about the choices that I made. Sure. But, uh, Beautiful Mind was a huge, 
a huge turning point. Right. Uh, were you impacted at all then with what happened to George Lucas uh, in a way that like he, you know, he makes American Graffiti, then he goes and makes Star Wars and then people just think he's going to continue to make Star Wars films? I, you know, I was and I was also impacted by what I saw that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were also succeeding at. Right. Which is they were making projects in those early days, uh, you know, whether it was American Graffiti and then Star Wars and then Raiders of the Lost Ark that George was very creatively engaged in, but so was Steven. Sure. Um, or E.T., Close Encounters. The, these movies couldn't really be compared to anything else. No one else was making those movies that way at that time. Right. And I thought, wow, they're entertaining. They, you know, they're aggressively entertaining. Mm -hmm. They're there to try to really be crowd pleasers, yet they're not they're not imitating anything of the moment. Maybe they're looking back right. and sort of modernizing and building upon some some kind of familiar um, 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 cinematic ground. But but they're not really doing serials. They're really making very modern, cut, cutting edge movies. Right. You know, they're not really doing fifties B. You know, B sci fi. Sure. Sure. It's this is this is something else. And and I thought that there was <laughs> that was smart. And um, so early on doing things like make a mermaid movie, yeah, you know, make a movie about senior citizens uh, who want to live forever. <laughs> right. Um, um, you know, I even far and away, you know, I mean, I felt like I wanted to make, um, you know, m movies that probably no other director would tackle right at this moment. Right. I know we're going to run out of time and you have a very busy day and I thank you so much for coming on. Um, but I want to wrap on this one. And since you're getting this in uh, incredible achievement, um, what do you still love the most about the filmmaking process? Collaboration. Really? The energy of the collaboration um, and, and the life experiences that just go around, a, a, you know, a project. It's, it's sort of like an exped expedition mm. and I get to be at the center uh, in fact, I must be at the center of this uh, sort of a swirl of creative problem solving. Um, and um, um, it's energizing. Um, it's the medium that can't be mastered. Right. <laughs> but I've decided that that's the good news. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'll just keep putting my best foot forward. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and um, you know, I'm trying to, trying to create work environments where my collaborators really have a chance to excel, mm. to do their best their very best work. And uh, that's that continues to be exciting for me. And I'm learning a hell of a lot as I go. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. 
Again, a special thank you to Ron Howard for joining the show and to the SCAD Savannah Film Festival. They helped us set up that interview, not only uh, booking time with him, but um, they also had somebody came, come in because I was not there to handle the tech side of it. Oh, so wow. It sounds great. It's it's all them. So it was a, a big thank you to them. Um, and a big thank we, you to our guest, as always. Someone named Babe. They did, they did the audio for that. <laughs> yeah. Me yeah. a wig. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> Babe Kovach, like, dude, like, you're, you're Kovach. Again, you can, you're, you're, you're ruining it. <laughs> no, look, one of us has to be Sean on this show right now and mispronounce people's names. Oh, yeah, right. no joke. Come on, yeah, Jake, yeah. you gotta Jake, fill the role. We'll pick it up. Jake took that mantle for us today, yes. so keep in touch, keep in, let's, keep tuned um, in. Let's dive right into the news of uh, James Gunn and Peter Saffron being named co-chairman and CEOs yes. of uh, DC's film, TV, and animation. Um, I just want to get your guys' immediate reactions. This did just drop. I have some more details from their statement. Um, I, it's, it is a bummer that Sean's not here because Sean kind of read a whole, wrote a whole book about <laughs> DC productions, um, a decade of DC productions, and is, is tapped into that. So I'm sure over the coming weeks, um, he'll have more to say on the show, some of his insight. But, but Jake, your immediate reaction, because this moments before we hit record, this dropped, so... Well, I mean, it, based on what I've read, it seems like James Gunn is going to be much more in charge of the creative aspect of, of what is now being retitled DC Studios, which I think is kind of cool. Studios, I think yeah. that sounds much cooler. Um, and Saffron taking over much more of like a financial, um, maybe like a CFO kind of kind of role. I'm a big James Gunn fan. Uh, I, I am. I dug his Suicide Squad. I obviously love his Peacemaker and I loved everything he's done with Marvel. And I loved everything he's done outside of uh, the superhero genre. I think he's got a great vision. I think he's got a great voice. I think he's got a unique voice. And I think he has a love and a passion and a respect for these characters and these worlds equally. Um, you know, I, I, I think blind loyalty can can get in the way of people sometimes like pitting DC against Marvel, Marvel against DC. I think as fans, we should want them all to be good. I don't understand yeah. this picking sides. And I think he has that really um, even killedness between the two, having worked in both. I think he has a great perspective having worked in both. He's sort of seen inside each circus tent. Um, so I, I think putting him in charge of the creative angle moving forward uh, is, a, is a really smart move. It's a great move. He knows what filmmakers need. He knows what actors need. And I think that's going to be really important for him, not just on the projects that he himself is directing or spearheading, but on the projects that he's handing over to other people. And I think it's going to attract a lot of other filmmakers knowing I can go to the head of the studio on a filmmaker to filmmaker level. Yeah. And he's been in the trenches. He gets what it's like and he'll know where I'm coming from if I need things from the higher ups. And I think that's going to be very attractive to a lot of filmmakers. I do want to pick up from that because one thing trying to read between the lines of, you know, a well-worded, well-reviewed and, and edited statement that they sure, had. Sure. They, they specifically pointed out how excited they are to work with new directors, talented mm -hmm. directors, writers, and, and, and such. And to me, that, that sort of, uh, uh, Shows us that this isn't going to be this, James Gunn is not the new Zack Snyder of whatever mm -hmm. DC is going to be. Mm -hmm. They're more they've sort of more interested in being the MCU in that having someone who creatively maybe is at the head of it and understanding what needs to happen across the board. Mm -hmm. But I expect that moving forward, DC projects are going to continue to feel fresh and different in the way that they have more recently with the likes of the Batman versus the Suicide Squad. Sure. Um to me, that was, again, trying to read between the lines. I felt like that was them pointing to 
we're not saying James Gunn is the new Zack Snyder and everything is going to have his tone, which is a great tone, but it's very strong. And, you know, that could also become a little bit much three films a year. (laughs) So uh, I thought that was reassuring. Kevin, what did you think of the news? Well, I mean, it's interesting because Jake points out the fact that he's worked in both, which is which is probably the most important thing because he Mm -hmm. understands you know, what fans want in both realms, right? And obviously MCU fans and DC fans, it, it, there, there's that whole rivalry of which I yeah, I wish didn't exist. I mean, there could be two studios. We say, and, we say that, but it feels like it's a, it's a rivalry that only exists on Twitter. So it's like, is how real yeah. is it? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how many people are I, at like MCU screenings with like DC shirts on and shaking their fist at the screen. Like, I think I, it's I more think there of is, a, I think there is a bit of a rivalry between the two. I think, you know, and, and you know, it not, not, because all creative people want other creative people to do well, but in the sure. same way, you know, like, uh, you know, in the same you mean, way, that, you mean like studio to studio? Like, yes. Like, yeah. Well, sure. But I think that's just as a business, that's, sure. that's probably they're competitive with, you know, non superhero movies as well in yeah. that regard. But so I mean, continue, one the, well, no, one sure. of the things I found interesting about this news was, well, so just backing it up a couple of days with Black Adam coming out and Henry Cavill returning as Superman at the end of the film. Spoiler alert, but it's out there everywhere now. Um, I kind of released that, that before is that the, the worst, worst kept, kept secret. secret. Yeah, 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 jinx. Um, no, it is like it is like the worst kept secret ever. They should have just kneeled or they should have just like lent into that, into the into the actual marketing. But anyways, in terms of that, that news with Cavill coming back, one of the things I found on, in, on the Internet that I found perplexing was everybody wanted Cavill back as Superman, but now they're angry that Snyder won't be involved um, theoretically or whatever, you know, whatever that news is going to be. So, well, you know, it's funny you say that because a question I would, and we can't ask him a question I want to ask Sean, because I don't know what, this is what I want to know too. I don't know what Snyder's uh, relationship is with Saffron or anything like that, but I wonder if someone, a creative like James Gunn being at the head of it, if that would make James Gunn more likely to come back. That's literally what I was about like yeah. about to say. I was like, do you think James like because based on what Jake was just saying, when he was talking about like filmmaker focused, understanding what directors need, what 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 people want to see, what actors need. Like I could see James Gunn like giving Zack Snyder that arc again, like giving him and again, uh, I don't know the 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 legal aspects behind the sure. scenes. We, there's been so much history with uh, Zack Snyder and WB. I have no idea. But with this new news, considering who James Gunn is, and he's somebody obviously who's dealt with controversy himself and things Mm -hmm. like that. I could just see him being someone that knows the tone and the world that these DC fans want. And with the fact that Cavill's returning, which is probably the most important news that DC's mm-hmm. had in a long sure. time because that, you know, again, well, you have, you can't be a DC superhero or yeah. Superhero property without having a Superman. Yeah. Like that's, right. But, but who is their Batman him, right now? Uh, Pattinson. Oh, well, no, that's not the DC. No. Is that, that's yeah, a different not, universe. Not, yeah, it's not, not the DC. The flash, the flash is going to solve all our problems. Apparently. Oh, that's a good, <laughs> good. Well, Hey, it could be like, Michael Keaton. It's yeah, true. It legit yeah. could be Mike. Did you guys read a quick sidebar that he got paid? Uh, two million for what was essentially like a thirty-second cameo in I Batgirl. I love it. That didn't even that's come crazy. out. Crazy. Yeah. I I say, um, I say good for Michael Keaton. You got free oh, lunch that's, too. That's another thing. I bet you James Gunn gets Batgirl. Oh, to come out. interesting I, points. I, so I, I think James well, Gunn. I don't know. Is, I, again, and, 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 and to, to Gabe's. I point, think that's the head of. I think that's Warner Brothers Discovery made that decision. So sure. I don't, I don't know that they're gonna just. Uh, but, who knows. When you bring someone like James Gunn into the mix like this at a level that he's at, essentially a Kevin Feige type It's exciting because you, it seems like anything's possible at this point. Right. And I think Gunn, but but Gunn is also, 
Gunn is also like Jake was saying, he is a director that loves sure. the movies and knows what we love. There is no way that James Gunn. And he's a he's a very successful producer as well. What's the uh, what's the like right. the superhero horror movie that he produced? Brightburn. Yeah. Brightburn was great. Right, Which is like was an R-rated great. Superman. Um, um, but, to, but I do want to touch before we get too far away from it. I don't. I having said the Snyder stuff, I don't think he's going to come back. I think I don't that, think so. I mean, like I feel like we're not asking the question, which is like, does Snyder even want to come back? Like well, everyone, I, well, I, I think he's clamoring for I think it with Cavill. Well, hang on, the, hang on. The Cavill return to me. Let me finish my could point. Mark, though. dude, Snyder's going to come back for Man of Steel too. I, mm. I, I going to call that right now. Let me finish my point because what I'm getting at is I don't know that they Man of Steel two is going to be. Man of Steel 2. I think that I forget the wording that they used in the post, but they mentioned about hope returning to the DC and hope is a big keyword for anti Snyder um, because mm. Man of Steel is not hopeful. Superman hopeful. Superman is right. what people have been clamoring for and was the big critique. I don't agree with that critique. I, I love Man of Steel yeah. beside the point. It's because you're um, a man of class and taste. <laughs> well, no, no. I, I would, I would love to see a true sequel to Man of Steel. I love that tone. I would love to see, Henry Cavill grow into a hopeful Superman. That's kind of where I always felt like that arc was going. Yeah. So maybe that's possible. I, what I think will happen is that, um, because you know, they talk about Henry Cavill having an idea about what he wants Superman to be and all that. I think they might just make a hard turn. Not that it won't feel like the same Superman, but I think we're going to get a hard turn. We're going to get a fresh, Oh, we're going to we're going to answer people's call for a hopeful Superman and not the serious, gritty. Superman. I just can I, I, get, can I, I get really nervous I whenever we start like uh, doing knee jerk reactions to what people on the Internet say they want. Like I get I very I, again, I, get very I would love to see that. But that. I, I think, again, maybe I'm reading too much between the lines. I think when they say hope is returning to the. DC as long as he gets a solo her, movie, like just, I'm, I'm tired I, of him being a part of ensembles. I disagree that Go ahead. His, Superman, his Superman is not hopeful. No, no, no. I disagree as well. But that's what people say. Sure. Yes, and I, that's but, my but, point. But I mean, if you're saying hope returns and we feel that way, I I would imagine again, I don't know James Gunn personally, but I would imagine sure. that James Gunn aligns with our feelings on superhero films and, and the way characters are portrayed. And I and again, I at the end of the day, I mean, this is a guy who's worked in both Marvel and DC and tonally, they're both very different. I mean, you could argue Marvel is definitely more hopeful. <laughs> I mean, if you want to put it in those terms, if you want to use that word. But sure. I, I do feel like the Cavill thing is fascinating because I do think that Gunn would be the person that could get Snyder back. I, I agree. I, I just don't I know. I, just don't know the, I, don't, I don't know the legality. I don't know what that relationship is. But as we know, in the world of, of movies, People go in and out of that business. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you guys remember the history of Tim Burton. Wasn't he fired from Disney years ago and then they brought him back? To, I mean, like it, it, it happens a lot in the Again, industry. And I just can't imagine James Gunn going, all right, Cavill's back. It's OK, but you bring Snyder. It's not an impossibility. The point I think the, the more the point is no, no one is sure that Snyder's interested. And it sure. seems like they're more than happy to kind of move on from that. And so the toxicity around his fan base and stuff like I, I think it's just it's just too easy of a decision to just be like we have the guy who plays Superman let's just make something let's can make you something really do Man of Steel 2 without Snyder could Again, you really, I, don't, I don't I don't I don't I don't know that could. it's going to be Man of Steel 2 is my point do you think it's going to be like a like a team up movie I think it's too early for we could talk we could spend the rest of our show talking about this well, is how little we know one of the things that's really important to note and, and again I don't want to stir any controversy but it, you know there were there were stories about what Cavill said in that video. Like, uh -huh. does it mean he's actually returning for 
full movies. Does it mean he is back? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. He's going to be the voice of Superman in the animated movies. <laughs> no, but I mean, I Superman is He's back. He's replacing Krasinski in DC is, League uh, of Super Pets. It's truthful. It's we just, have a what lot, is he back as? We have a lot of show to get through. Um, oh, I will point out, and, and I'm going to move right through this. I, will, I will leave no room for comment. This does mean that um, I once Guardians 3 is out, I mean, I, I don't assume Marvel's going to hire the... CEO of DC Studios yeah. <laughs> to make any more I, movies. So I want to see his press tour for Guardians Three. Yeah, I think I think I want to see his press tour for the holiday special. <laughs> yeah, so I wanna, you guys I wanna, don't think he's going to participate? No, no, he will. But it's gonna, he's going to have I, a hard time not answering DC questions. Well, it's like it's uh, sort of well, like whenever different. remember we got J.J. Abrams yes, for, for Star, Star Trek, Trek Two, Star but he oh, but he just been signed on for Star Wars, and it was sort of like, damn it, like we, he knew that I was like, dude, like you know, we have to ask about, like we can't not yeah. ask. Well, here's the, the, we were there for Paramount and we we're talking yeah. about a Disney movie. And I, and I remember asking, I was like, dude, please put some lens flares on the end of your lightsabers. Yeah. I'll try. Marvel's <laughs> too big. though. Marvel's too big. Like people will have their DC question, maybe. But like people are also going to need Marvel content. Yeah. So I, I don't think yeah. I think Marvel can only win from from yeah. having him do press. So in all honesty, it will um, probably happen is this will probably help his DC stuff because if he's just like in a positive because if he's in a positive promotional tour for guardians three he goes hey wait till you see what i got coming out on the dc side i don't know that marvel will be excited about him hawking his next wares but i my point being i don't think he's gonna i don't think he's gonna pull he he poured his heart and soul into guardians of galaxy three i don't think he's gonna not do press for it because yeah he got a new job like i i think he it is weird timing though personally attached to that movie but moving on uh, we're gonna get some quick box office reactions before we get into the Quantum Mania trailer. Um, Black Adam, uh, number one at the box office with sixty-seven million domestic. Ticket to Paradise in second with sixteen and a half. And I will note uh, that this is the first weekend since July that has totaled over a hundred million dollars at the box office. Smile was in third, uh, by the way, and it's in its oh. third week now. I think it is um, third or fourth weekend. It's doing well. Uh, Jake. Your thoughts on this weekend's box office results? Um, I th- I thought. Um, uh, well, first of all, Kevin, I think you lost a bet, so I think you owe me something. A drink because we bet? had a, we had a Black Adam bet? box office bet between the two of us. Oh, well, um, what was ab- the number? Above uh, the number was fifty million, above or below. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was um, wrong on that. I honestly, I feel like that's a pretty solid number. I mean, it's it's his best. What were the highest projections of going into the, the, the All the projections I saw were like 60, 62, 70. something like that. Um, I feel like 67 is really solid. To me, um, what's going to be more telling is last weekend one and more like how it plays. It's got some big hurdles ahead of it, uh, namely speaking Wakanda forever coming up in, in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it needs to grab as much cash as it can now. Um, what is it? 140, a little over 140 around the world. And I saw it's Monday That's numbers. Right. We're recording this on a Tuesday. I saw it's Monday numbers. We're, we're pretty solid at like a little over four, almost five million. Um, so it's domestic totals already in the 70s. I mean, it's as long as it has the legs, then we're good. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a new character that people don't know very well. It's a situation where I think the uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson is selling it more than the character's name, as opposed to the opposite, where like Dr. Sure. Strange sells the movie more than Benedict Cumberbatch. Right. Um, so I feel I feel like Warner Brothers has to be happy with that. Uh, the audience score was uh, was was very positive over. 90%. And um, yeah. yeah, which was which is great. Uh, you know what? And I think uh, I again, well, I, I think week two will be will be very telling. 
you think that people are going to Halloween weekend, people are going to go see Black Adam or are they going to go see Smile again or a movie coming out this week? Um, I think it's going to take a pretty big drop. I I might. Yeah, I just don't like 50 what it, what does it need to, to reach worldwide for for people to go okay yeah that was what is it 700 well, i think so sean right, said 700 yeah because because well, one of the things that people don't understand when they're talking about box office and this is something that i didn't understand for a long time was just the budget itself which is you know a, reportedly around 200 million that's just the yeah, budget 195 yeah. yeah but that's when not, you go in pna pna you're adding i mean you could add upwards of 200 million on top of that yeah. i mean again i don't know yeah. how much their pna was but i would imagine if you're traveling all over the world and doing all those premieres and you're doing all those junkets and those interviews, that all costs a lot of money. All the ads on TV, um, all those going to clear half a billion to even get into the black. Right. Right now it's at 142. And honestly, I'm again, I'm, I'm always trying to be a little more optimistic about things, but you know, at 142, 67 million, What's interesting about that is you look at some of the 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 less popular Marvel characters that ended up opening larger than that, mm-hmm. like Shang Chi or um, uh, Doctor Strange. Like, uh, like there's, I mean, this is back before you know when they were introduced. Is what I mean. Doctor Strange is obviously a famous, yeah. very big character in the MCU now, but I, I just but that's the that's the clout that Marvel has, which right, is like Marvel. we have a new character and the yeah. people who go want to go see the new character. Right, but and but so Shang Chi is an interesting one because I was trying to figure out what that opened to here because that was a a no name. That was a no name. I I thought an interesting comparison number was um, versus Aquaman though, in the sense that like, like a DC introductory origin story. um, I have your opening Kev. Uh, Shang-Chi opened a 75.3 domestic and Aquaman was 67. Interesting. And but so, think, think about Aquaman, though. Part. Aquaman crossed a billion because it played incredibly well. Remember that holiday season? Um, I remember Warner Brothers was afraid of Mary Poppins Returns because everyone <laughs> thought Mary's Pop- Mary. No joke. Everyone thought Mary Poppins Returns going into that holiday season yeah. was going to crush it. And Aquaman ended up being Mary Poppins Returns kind of underperformed at the box office. Aquaman uh, yeah. ended up being the movie that just kind of stuck around. Never bet um, against Mr. Worldwide. Never. Yeah. And Never. also, look if you look at the numbers for Aquaman, this that. is incredible. One point one billion for worldwide. Eight hundred and thirteen million of that was international. Sure. Um, um, you know, but I yeah, will say so. before we move out of the box office this week, um, Kevin, you want to mention about Ticket to Paradise? We did yeah. interview um, Caitlin Deaver. Oh, hey, yeah, we did do that. That's yeah. a thing we did. Yeah. And Sean yeah. wasn't there for that. So he, he on you, Sean. Yeah, you guys, you're even this week. Um, yeah. Jake and Kevin did that interview, uh, which dropped on Wednesday, the Wednesday before this. So wherever you're listening to this, that is available. Uh, she was yeah. delightful. I thought that was a good interview. It was yeah. good. And, and if you're a fun. fan of uh, Booksmart, she talks oh a lot God, about Oh my God, so much Booksmart's talk. talk. about that. that um, but Kevin, you wanted to mention $16.5 million for Ticket to Paradise counter-programming. Um, helped, yeah. us, helped us over that $100 million hump that, it's, uh, that we've been lagging on at the box office. What'd you thought? What'd you think? What I find interesting about these numbers, like, you know, the 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 sexier story in terms of like a headline is, you know, the number one movie in, in you know, 67 million for for Dwayne Johnson's always the sexier story. Yeah, but, you know, but I, I get it because like it, 67 million is a lot more money than 16 million, clearly. Right. But it's all perspective. And I, and I think the budget reportedly for Ticket to Paradise is 60 million. The movie's already made 97 million world, yeah. worldwide. Um, it was already a hit. Uh, prior to opening up the United States. Also, what's fascinating about Ticket to Paradise is it's an it's old school in the sense of 
it's two massive A-list stars leading mm-hmm. a film. Um, we are in a day and age now where we are seeing less of that, less of uh, names opening films rather than like franchises and, and you know, superhero films. You know, Shang-Chi is a great example. You know, Simu Liu right. was not a name before that movie came out, but it crushed because the Marvel But the brand. thing you have to worry about is it, they're, they've been names since that era. You no, know, no, I, that's I get the difference. that. Like, is the entertainment industry creating the next George Clooney and Julie Roberts well, at the moment? I mean, it's fascinating. We, we talk about this a lot on the show. Like what actors still have the caliber to open films? You could and argue I what, I, it'll take some time, but you could argue like the Chalamet and uh, Zendaya maybe or like that's 100 percent. Maybe maybe that's what they'll yeah. become. Well, you know, I, I Kevin, I'm, was there any part of you? I know like. I understand the the narrative of $16 million. It overperformed based on projections. But Sean and I were talking about this last week. Uh, both of us really thought that the movie was going to surprise and hit up into the 20s and maybe even the height. Like there was a based on like Lost City. And it seemed like people kind of, you know, wanting that kind of old school rom-com sure. again and again. And again, Lost City had much more of like an action adventure edge to it than Ticket to Paradise is much more of a straight rom-com than, than we've been talking about. But I, I really thought that there was now great. I also think that Ticket to Paradise is going to have great uh, legs. legs through yeah. the holiday season. I think so. Too. I really I really do think it could be one of those movies we stop talking about and in six weeks look up and go wait ticket to paradise crossed a hundred million dollars it's, it's gonna cross a hundred million in I the mean, next world couple worldwide it's doing it's doing yeah. incredibly well, well i want to point it out, domestically i want to point out i don't know how many markets i can't find a way to compare uh the number of markets but it did outperform black adam internationally Black Adam had 75.9 international. Ticket to Paradise had 80.5. Well, now, but it did, but now, Ticket to Paradise it, has been open for like a month and a half. Okay, that's yeah. what I say. I don't have that. It, like, it, weirdly, like, like the U.S. Right, is the no last sense. country to, well, yeah, like, you know, that's, that that's because we're spoiled brats that expect to get everything first. Well, it's not that, but generally when that happens, it's, it's like a superhero or some type of big film. Like, right. like not, not saying or Ticket James to Paradise. Bond. Yeah, like yeah, they'll yeah. usually open overseas. But last comment on this, I just think it's interesting because, and I'm not again. And Jake's right about like you know, Lost City made like 30 million or whatever it was opening weekend. But I don't know. I just found that number. I think I think a lot of my thought process on this is really kind of yielding with the worldwide total of it because I'm just thinking about you know, it's a romantic comedy with George Clooney and Julia Roberts that's going to cross 100 million dollars in two days, yeah. like uh, two days from now. Yeah. And and I I think that to me is just it gives me hope that the era of the movie star might not fully be over. I mean, I think, you know, we are, we talk about this a lot about which stars could still open films. And I just found it. I don't know. It's opening against a superhero film. that made significantly less money than that, but the budget was significantly lower. I mean, you're talking about a $60 million film versus a 190 plus million dollar film. Right. Um, and I think to me, I actually liked ticket to paradise. I thought so it was just I. a, it took me back to that old school rom-com and I, I enjoyed seeing those two on screen together. Um, I just thought those numbers to me were more impressive than black Adams numbers sure. because I think black Adam being the movie that it is, I think should open bigger than that. But you well, know, we Jake, you know. your final thoughts. Yeah. Before yeah. I just, I just wanted to ask something really quick to see if you guys would agree. Is it to a point now where, um, cause we've talked a lot about, you know, the, the diluting worth of, of, of a movie star. Is it to a point now where we almost have to start pairing them up like Avengers, like, yeah. like you know, because I think if like a George movie came, a George Clooney movie came out, people are like, okay, it's a George Clooney movie. Yeah. If Julia Roberts movie comes both. out, but then you got both of them together, and then everyone in my circle at work goes, ooh, they're in a movie together, like right. in the same way that you're like, hey, it's not just a Thor movie, Hawks there too. Like if you like, maybe like it's it's more about like seeing actors together 
that we haven't seen. You know, like if, uh, you know, I, I think like if, if someone were to put like Denzel and DiCaprio in a movie together, people would yeah. just go, oh my sure. God, like Denzel and DiCaprio in a movie. Like that, I feel like that sort of pair up could that's really always, sort of bring about. That's thing though. That's always bad. Sure. I mean, not, not that you're. But it could be the saving grace of what Jake's talking about. Like, like, in, like it's interesting because you look at Lost City. So that was just seeing their names on the poster was like, oh, right. like two big stars on the it poster was cool. again and, and bring Jake's, back blooper reels. I agree. I, I agree with that. And Jake's right, though, because a lot of people said to me, oh, I can't believe they're back in a movie together or yeah. I can't. I, I want to see Julia Roberts and George Clooney in the movies. But again, also, again, oh, to my what? point earlier, that shows you that those are people who were engaging with them earlier on in a sure, different era. Sure. Oh, I agree. Nostalgically yeah. excited to see them yeah. together. While Where it I goes don't, from here I, will be interesting. I don't have the exact statistics on this, but I read this when the box office came out and you'll please clarify if you, if you need to. Um, but you know, one thing we were seeing with the pandemic um, was that older audiences, you know, were, were having a slower time getting sure. back to mm-hmm. the movies. Yeah. Right. And, More dangerous. Yeah. For the, but look at the older audience. Yeah. Right. Right. And the point being is that like young kids were going out to the movies. That's why all the superhero films, Spider-Man and Shang-Chi were doing so well. But then you had these films that were maybe skewing a little older, like to my parents, who are still not going back to a movie theater. They went and saw right. Nope with me because I, tr- I I took them to a theater that nobody was at. Um, but in terms of their perspective, they're not ready to go back. They don't feel safe. Um, but if you look at the numbers for Ticket to Paradise, the percentages of older audiences that went was high. It was like higher than we had seen in a while in terms of like a film like that performing with an audience over a certain age. So I think my perspective on that is, oh, maybe we're starting to get more comfortable and get yeah. back into and like you know Did I, your parents I, I, have your parents i know your parents were if you don't mind me saying um a little apprehensive to go back have they been back yet did you tell me that they went back just to the movie nope just, just nope with me okay. I'm saying, i can't imagine why convincing. they went and saw that well they were visiting me and i was like I, I was like mom and dad i gotta go see nope for the fourth time can you guys come <laughs> with me <laughs> and they were like sure and well i mean it took me like an hour on my mom sure. and i was um, like i was like mom it's okay we're gonna i'm gonna choose our seats no one will be sitting near us and she had the best time you're good but she won't go without me though she we will uh we'll move on but I'll, the, to give that a number i'm reading here and this is from jim Orr, president of domestic theatrical distribution at universal pictures yeah. Um, who says that almost two thirds of their audience was over 35. So, oh, wow. Oh, my God. A, Am I now almost at the age where they uses the marker for yeah. for old people? Yes. But that's actually oh, a no. really um, How did that happen? That's a great statistic, by the way. And, I, and, and that to me is the story. I think sure. that 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 film doing that with that age I of think, an audience is cool. I think it'll be I think it'll be interesting to see who has the better legs proportionally. Um, right, you got to think paradise about it. Like yeah, that. yeah. I, think, I think that'll be interesting. Honestly, I think it's going to be Ticket to Paradise. I that'll think Ticket fun. to Paradise is too. And and because Jake brings up Black Panther, I mean Black Panther comes out in what two weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. So, and then Black Adam you... becomes a memory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At that point for I, superhero fans, isn't that crazy? Um, how like that's going to just be distant in like yeah. two weeks? We will continue the superhero discussion uh, with a quick reaction to the Ant Man Quantum Mania trailer, which dropped uh, yesterday, earlier this week. Uh, it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, Ant Man Quantum Mania. Jake, you want to take us? What are your thoughts? I'm going to be less, honest with you. Uh, the, the, well, look, I, I have a long history on the show of not being a massive fan of the, the solo Ant-Man films. Um, I'm with you on I, that. I, I, they just don't really move the needle for me. And this movie, at least the, tra- the look at the trailer that I saw, 
uh, which I guess is what everybody saw. <laughs> I was about to say, it, I was like, yeah, 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 it's, it's anything special What's compared to everybody about, else. You're like, well, James Gunn um, but it just, it just encompasses everything that's my, my issue with Marvel right now. Like, which it's is? just clearly, I mean, they're not even trying to hide that they're just in these big blue screen, green screen studios now. It just feels so empty. And I'm this just, like, I'm just staring at, at, at just like a bunch of actors running around in front of a, a blue. It, nothing feels tangible. Nothing feels like real everything, you know, and, and I don't know. It just based on what the plot is, clearly it has to be CGI because it's just this big, fantastic uh, creation, but it just it's just sort of like, OK, to me, it just feels like another Marvel thing that reminds me of why I'm detached from the MCU right now and not to compare one franchise to the other. But if I could just briefly compare it to like why I'm loving Andor so much right now is that Andor, for those of you who are watching it, you know, is so tangible, like they shot on location, like there's a one there's a there's a sequence where they needed a dam. So they went out and found a dam and like they're like they like everything feels real. Like I know the dimensions and what things feel like. And I know like the complexities of this real world that they're in compared to something like a Boba Fett or an Obi-Wan that just feels like them standing in front of that that screen. And to well, me, I that's, will say, though, that screen's really impressive. Yeah, but it's, they even had a. um I can't think of who it was. A cinematographer came out and admitted like one of the cinematographers they use like, look, it works for sunsets and sunrises. Yeah. It doesn't work for. I would say that's, that's ironically full anything. blown desert planet, which is the only play planet that will yeah. freaking use these days. So I guess to my point being like, I just wish like I, I get that things are getting a little bit more wild and crazy and we're getting a little bit more galactic um, with with the MCU these days, which makes it harder to shoot quote unquote on location or make things tangible. But damn, they just look like computer movies now. They really do. It, and it just makes me feel so emotionally detached from like just because well, I feel like I know too much about how it works to not see a bunch of actors run like to the point where like there's a sequence where actors are walking up on rocks and it's just like, well, clearly those rocks were built on the set and then the blue screen is behind those rocks and it's just like I can't unsee see that and so it just looks like i'm watching a very like like really really expensive well-made student film i'm not interested in defending marvel it doesn't need my uh defense but i'll say that you probably watched that on your phone or laptop uh, i know a pretty large work computer screen okay a large work computer screen yes i would give it the benefit of the doubt uh, to me it, great cgi looks worse on smaller screens they really are designed i think for the theater mm-hmm. um and i would also say i think we're, we in particular are just very tuned to that sure so it's it's tough is it's there tough to any part of you that saw what i saw uh no i, I mean no that. no i agree i agree it does it looks it looks like that and I, for me personally i've kind of i've gone past the like caring too much about the cgi stuff like or like bad cgi to a point like i'm like you know what it, but when it, a film relies so much on it though like I, i'm i'm weirdly enough i'm much more forgiving yeah sure you have, have to, to see the context to, 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 yeah. to, to, to judge yeah. avatar yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got, everything i've seen about avatar so far to me looks gorgeous no, but no what's gonna be uh, what's gonna what's gonna uh uh sell a ticket for me is seeing jonathan majors though. yeah who yes. I, did you wait did i tell you guys i ran into him in chicago like two nights ago at a restaurant no. i saw it on your instagram yeah. story yeah 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 i ran into him and then they dropped the trailer like two days later Wow. We walked in and, and my whole table went Kang. That's hilarious. <laughs> Which is um, what I'm sure what he loved. Yeah, yeah. but he's, we get used to it. But um, yeah. Kevin, you are more of an Ant Man fan uh, from yeah. us on the show. What did you think of this trailer? Well, it's interesting because like I I watched it and 
I, I really loved it at first. And then I, I do have some issues and, and, and some of the CG, I think I agree with Jake on. Um, but in terms of my Ant-Man fandom, um, I the first Ant-Man is one of my favorite MCU films. I think the technology that was used in that movie, I mean, talking about CGI, you know, that was a film that was super innovative. Like, like they, mm-hmm. you know, when, when Ant-Man would go into a vacuum cleaner, they, they took these little micro cameras and shoved them into a vacuum cleaner so you could get the perspective of what that would look like for the character to dive into that realm, even the bathtub and things like that. So I always found those, the first one specifically, while there is CGI, clearly um, they had a lot of fun Peyton Reed did with, um, with, you know, with some of the practical devices. I did not love Ant-Man and the Wasp. That uh, like it's interesting, like, like I compare the drop of love from one to two, like I do with Guardians from one to two. I loved Guardians one, but I was not a fan of Guardians two. Um, but in terms of this trailer, my biggest problem that I have with it is the moment where they all get sucked into the quantum realm. And like and like basically it reminded me of the moment in Spider-Man No Way Home when Doctor Strange just does the spell and and like and. It, it, it just because Peter wants, you know, to to fix this thing with the school. And again, I get the bit there. It's I, I think it worked in Spider-Man No Way Home. It was a kid, you know, he, high school kid isn't, you know, that's all he cares about and doesn't understand the ramifications of his actions. And that's kind of the arc of the character. But here, when I saw that again, I was like, all right, that just seems forced. <laughs> it just seems like like, again, it's one of those things where it's it, this is just the device to get us there. And it didn't yeah. seem like it was natural. Um that being said, I'm excited about a lot of the things. I do think some of the CG in the quantum realm doesn't look good, but that, you know, to Gabe's point, we've also seen trailers come out before the CG's finished. Sure, which, yeah, which we've I, got a couple of months. You're right about that. Which I think is also a really weird thing to do that if you would, and again, I don't know if this one's unfinished. I have no idea, but we've seen it before where like trailers have come out. Uh, you know, Sonic was one of the greatest examples ever where that <clears> looked <throat> horrible and well, they people just, they complained just and they fixed it. it. Yeah, they yeah. just redid it. Um, but in terms of this, uh, it is the Kang thing that excites me, just like Gabe yeah, said. I, I think what's funny is I was talking to someone about this today. We said this before on the show. The Marvel series, aside from Loki and Moon Knight, maybe, like, like I haven't loved. Um, but Loki was probably the yes. closest thing to an MCU movie that I, that I saw. Loki especially was awesome. The last yeah. episode of that show. But when, so Jonathan Majors, I, I'm, I, first of all, his work in Defy Bloods was Mm. monumental um and he's about to have the biggest year ever next year with creed 3 and uh was creed 3 and, and i've year? heard his yeah creed 3 is in march yeah. but i've also heard he has that movie coming out in december devotion that i have heard is Huge. i've not seen it i've heard it's phenomenal yeah and and honestly like i'm i'm really a big fan of his and, I, and so like it's gotten to a point where like now i'm at like if he's in something i'm excited to see it and like For you sure. know you know how that is when an, an actor gets on the scene and you're like super excited to watch their work For, i remember tom holland got you know there was a lot of actors who kind of come on the scene and you go oh i want to watch this next thing they do um so the end of the trailer was like i was like okay that's cool like i mean the whole the him just saying ant-man was cool um i don't think it's the best trailer ever i do think it looks better than ant-man and the wasp I think the title is a little convoluted itself. Um, just Ant-Man and the Wasp colon Quantumania. Quantumania. I don't know how that's going to fit on a Chiron. I was thinking, like, how's that oh, going to fit on right, a Chiron? Yeah. Um, but in terms of that, yeah, I mean, I'm with you, Jake, in terms of I, I, I'm in because I love the first Ant-Man. I'm also in because I just love him and that character. I just think Paul Rudd's Scott Lang is 
awesome um and just like any like just him walking around outside of any ant-man just the way he walks honestly i I'd, I'd be much more excited about a scott lang movie yeah, than i would yeah. be and like just just like for him going to uh, so you know, baskin robbins and being confused for spider-man like like and that's that, funny I, I could watch two hours of that and be perfectly and it would be it would be a top 15 <laughs> marvel movie for dude me. that's okay. literally why one of my top five favorite marvel moments ever is that taco scene in endgame I just think mm. that is so funny. I, I know you like that Marvel bit. Moments I ever? mean, top, top, top 10. I, I love that moment. That's it's like Avengers my, Assemble. I do love that it's Hulk not like, breaks out in Ragnarok. I do and the taco, the taco scene. I honestly. I just it's such were, a throwaway like moment of a moment. It's like barely a. I think it's bigger than that, though. I think that scene right. is so funny and it's so it's just like him walking up with the tacos and the, the the thing landing and blowing the lettuce everywhere anyways stupid um but that's what you in, get for putting lettuce on your tacos i love well lettuce is great on taco i do no, extra lettuce oh what are you talking about i do extra right. lettuce no, right, anyways what is you, it, you, do, you don't put beans in your chili or something what's your texas no bullshit? because i'm a texas man yeah all right. no beans do you not like beans at all or just not beans and chili I'm not a big beans guy, period. But beans and chili is uh, they not are good right. for your heart. You know what they do for that. Um, <laughs> no, but in terms, beans and chili are great. <laughs> they are good. All right. So last thing on this, um, I'm kind of lukewarm, but sure. I'm but I'm more excited because of majors. Majors Absolutely. actually is the reason. But yeah. that scene in the trailer when they when when he, when she hits that button and oh we're going you mentioned, into the you mentioned just seemed like All right, we will uh, we'll take a break. We'll take a break right there. On the other side, we have This Week in Movies, where we're going to uh, run down the stuff hitting theaters and streaming. A couple of reviews coming your way, so stay tuned. And we are back uh, for This Week in Movies. Um, I just had a Richard Cheese reminder. From, I know. I want to get back. like a... I want to make that just an audio cue. I think he listens to the show. I think we could get him to... Farben Star. Write that oh. in. Um, hitting Netflix, All Quiet on the Western Front, new adaptation of that classic novel. Apparently it is very good. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing like uh, Best Picture nomination worthy. Yeah, it none of us have seen it, but it looks... Extremely immersive. It's um, incredible. I want to see it in a theater. Do we know? I was just about to say, so, so I cannot wait to press play on my TV at home. While you guys go on, I'll I'll check for a theatrical release, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's getting anything. um, What? I, yeah, I I think we would have, we would, I didn't see it and I don't, I think we would have heard it. No, it is. It is. So uh, again, I can only speak to my area. Um, but if you if you live in the DMV, it's playing at Cinema Arts and Landmark okay. East Street. I would imagine wow. it's at other theaters. And like Netflix is doing this more often. That's the kind of movie I would imagine. A you war movie, see yeah, in absolutely, yeah. So it is in theaters. Apparently, starting. Oh, it's in theaters now. Okay, so for people this listening to this show right now, it's art. No, no, meaning that it's already. We're recording this on Tuesday. It's already in right. theaters right this second, and then it goes to Netflix Friday. Right, which means it probably leaves theaters on Friday. No, it'll stay. It'll <laughs> stay because, so? like, yeah, because, like, for example, we're we're gonna get to Good Nurse in a second here. Good Nurse was already in limited release in yes. theaters. Opens tomorrow or Wednesday on Netflix. So right. you're gonna be seeing this a lot more often. But that movie in particular, well, they've which been I doing that. Seen, they've been doing that for a while. What we want right. is a full release. Sure. And, regardless, and, regardless, yeah, regardless. Yeah. Wendell and Wild also hitting Netflix. Um, you said this is Jordan Peele produced this, wrote this. Yeah, I wanted to just shout this out because one, we I haven't seen one of the it big, though, right? We haven't seen no, it. No, no. But one of the, one of the biggest misconceptions that I hear when it comes to films is that people think that Tim Burton directed Nightmare Before Christmas, um, mm-hmm. and obviously, um, you know, it's Henry Selick, and who's a brilliant filmmaker who did Coraline, uh, and now this, since written by Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele and Keegan are all are also voices in the film. Um, I'm 
so excited about this because I've heard that there's lots of Easter eggs for Nightmare Before Christmas. That's cool. Um, I've always wanted to interview Henry Selleck and ask him how often he has to correct people. I don't think he, he probably doesn't do it now, but like when that movie Nightmare Before Christmas came out, it was Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, it was his story and everything. Is it Tim Burton's um, or was it Tim Burton Presents? How did presents. they... No, you're right. Presents, it was like, yeah. uh, I'll double check on it, but his name was definitely at the top. It was, exactly. And right. that's why people are confused because it looks like a Tim Burton movie. It feels like a Tim right. Burton movie. And they I mean, put the his name on it. Yeah, but, but in terms of this movie, yeah, if you're a fan of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas or Coraline, this is the same filmmaker. And with Jordan Peele as a writer on it, he wrote it with Henry Selleck. Um, that gives me a lot more seems uh, like excitement. A, yeah. a good fit for your Halloween weekend, as well as um, another horror movie going wide. Pray for the devil. I don't know anything about this, but I'm very curious. It looks scary. Um, if this is going to continue the sort of horror movies crushing at the box office that's been happening since the summer. So with like black phone, I think as far as. Well, no, scream, scream in January all scream. year. Yeah. All year. Horror's been a crushing good, a good point. Like we'll see like. You guys know how this works. We'll see a we'll see a movie release weekend with a ton of films. And then the number one will be the movie that no one's ever heard of. Like like the big like the random some random right. horror film. And I think here's why I think Pray for the Devil could be big. It's, it's had like some decent marketing. Like I have seen huge. it. It's not yeah. completely. Um, and it's a wide release. But it's well, not one it where pl- like there seems like there's a ton of buildup. It played before Smile, though. So remember, Smile's exactly. at 100 million. Exactly. And you're talking about, you know, all those again, I saw it on like a Wednesday afternoon, like at one forty five. And it was mostly high school kids that were in the audience. Yeah. Kids love to be scared, especially in this time of year in Halloween. I could see anybody and especially I'm assuming the movie's rated R because it looks pretty brutal. The trailer is actually terrifying. Um, and I remember sitting in the theater watching it going, I've never heard of this movie, uh-huh. but that looks legit scary. Um, so in all honesty, I could that end up PG-13. like creeping up? Oh, it's so, okay. So for me, this, this is weekend, for one? me, this is, I think the, um, this is the release that I have my eye on. Yeah. That's going to pull black Adam to like a 70 or more right. percent drop. It's gonna also be, the PG 13 that, uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Jake, that changes everything because I mean, in terms of smile, that's still crushed with, with younger audiences and mm-hmm. it was R. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you have the ability to have and a it's Halloween you know, weekend, like I don't think we, right. can, we can't even sell that. Like there's people yeah. who want to go out and do things with friends. Well, that, that's what I'm a talking new about. Scary movie. Like it just seems, seems like a perfect date for them to drop. Yeah. Think about if you're 15 years old, right. And it's a Saturday night, you and your buddies, you guys, you guys want to go out and see a movie. It's PG 13. It's a movie you can go see. It's like, you know, and half the time those kids aren't even watching these movies. They're just like joking around with their friends when they're watching them, but they're still buying that ticket and they're still sitting in that theater and they're still, you know, giving the movie money. That is, that sounds like a perfect storm of a, of a, of an upset in terms of box office. Um, I think Gabe's onto something. You you mentioned something that I just want to interject with really quickly um, to tell you guys, because I I did something that I've never done before in my entire life this past weekend. Uh, I walked out of a movie. Ooh. And do you want to say what you, you just made a joke about like kids showing up and, and, and joking and talk. I walked out of smile because 30 minutes into it, like I couldn't even hear like what, like, like half the audience was like cracking jokes and laughing. The guy behind me wanted to impress everyone by showing that he could predict what was going to happen 10 seconds ahead. And uh, I was, and here's the thing. It was a Saturday like early screening on week three. So I really thought like, oh, it'll be fine. Like, it's not going to be, you know, and I was with a couple of friends 
And I'd mentioned to the friend next to me, like, I gotta be honest, like, the, like I was getting upset because I was really excited for this movie and I recognized that it was good, but it was pissing me off what yeah. was happening in the theater. So I was like, this is unfairly going to skew my perception of yeah. this movie. Um, and the per- and the person next to me was like, Hey, like everyone else down the row, like is getting really annoyed too. Unless, I mean, you know, you know, us old 35 year olds. I'm surprised. I'm surprised no one came in and well, we, we went, we went to go like, I've, again, I've never gone to like customer service at a theater and be like, look, like I even like led with like, I've literally never done this. I'm not this person, but I, I can't stay in there and, and keep watching that movie because they're ruining the movie. And at this point, like if they try, like I, you know, it took me like 10 minutes to get to customer service. I've missed a chunk of the movie. Like I, I didn't want to try to go back in and keep watching. So we got a refund and left, but nice. I've never done that before in my entire life. Wait, I got to mention this because this is actually funny that that happened to you. And I know we got to move on. We do. So have when, to I move went, on. when I went and saw Smile, this happened to me. Um, there were there were two groups to the right and left of me behind me that were screaming, laughing. So, Jake, you, you actually would have been really happy about this. There was a guy in the bottom left corner who was seeing the movie by himself. Must have been in his 40s. He was so angry that they were talking that he got up out of his chair and then sat down between the two groups of people that were talking and literally told them to shut up or that he was going to. I don't know what he said he was going to do. I didn't hear the what wow. or what I'm going to do. Those kids did not say a word for the next right. hour. And it was genuinely. And again, I felt bad because I I was one of those kids when I was a kid and joking around in theaters kids when that guy. But I didn't want to turn around and be like, guys, be quiet. I'm trying to be unfocused because Jake, like, you know, like in the beginning of the film, when we're in the middle Mm. of a serious scene, Mm -hmm. kids are cracking jokes and laughing. And this guy was like, got up and did it for me. And I was like, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) He literally like they didn't say a word for the next hour. It was like I was like, thank you, sir. I didn't want to be a jerk. You know what Uh, I mean? A couple quick ones. A couple quick ones. Um, Tar is opening wide. If you want to hear these guys thoughts uh, when it when it first went limited a couple weeks ago, we gave our reviews. That is our episode with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. If you find that episode, good episode. You want to hear their reviews. It's a part of the This Week in Movies section. There are timestamps so you can find it quickly. Um, I want to keep this one short because I want you guys to talk about Till. Jake, can I just get your surface level reaction to The Good Nurse and your score, uh, which is coming uh, to Netflix? I really liked this film. I'd give it probably a, a four out of five. I mean, it is. I, I feel like you don't truly understand the scope of how disturbing this story is until it's over. And yeah. you're able to look back, take almost take a step back and realize what you just watched happen uh for people who are unfamiliar it is uh, jessica chastain plays an overnight nurse she's dealing with a lot of financial issues and she's got two young kids and this uh young guy played by eddie redmayne starts working the night shift with her as a, as a nurse they kind of develop a, a friendship but over this time uh people start coding people start dying on their floor and she's never not quite sure why and then brings in this second plot line with these detectives who are trying to figure out what's going on with this patient that died but the hospital is being very vague and not letting them do their job and really kind of protecting the eddie redmayne character which really makes no sense uh, and then the uh, it ends up being it's not a spoiler because it's the point of the movie and it's in the trailer that Eddie Redmayne is uh, killing their patients. And this guy, Charles Cullen, uh, is suspected of I think he was convicted of around 20 deaths. They uh, and that's that's just what they were able to pin on him. They suspect that number may be upwards of 400, which, if true, would make him the most prolific serial killer in American history. Um, and it's just 
a phenomenal film that for me was interesting because I didn't realize how terrifying it was until the movie was over. And then I realized, oh, I just watched a story about a serial killer without really understanding mm. how much of a serial killer story I was watching. It's And Eddie Redmayne is phenomenal. Like, I, 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 I don't know if he's being discussed in the supporting actor conversation. I thought he was great. Um, I was captivated the entire time. Yeah, yeah Redmayne's performance. Yeah, I'd give it a four out of five. Yep. Yeah, Redmayne's performance is terrifying. It's like, uh, um, it's also a lot to do with the haircut. He looks, mm. it, it's such a, it, it's such a different character for him. And like, I'm glad he took this swing because he needed to branch out a bit. I mean, obviously he's obviously Danish girl. He's done some great different characters over the years, but there was something about this character that I didn't, I just didn't see him. Um, and I thought that, uh, and Jake's right though. It's, it, and the reason why you don't realize you're watching a, a movie on that scale of serial killer is because it's primarily focused on the the final hospital, right? Jake, that he was, yes. that he was working at uh, when he got essentially caught. So what's crazy about the film is that he was at multiple hospitals along the way. And it seemed like no one was checking when he was getting hot. Well, not just that they were protecting him right, because they, they did him. not yeah. want to be held liable. So they were they basically, the phone, let's, right? let's, they let's, yeah. let's leave some details yeah. for the, Sorry. for the audience to find so out. So the, the last shot, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, but I know all, it's a true all, story, but it's still a piece of entertainment yeah. for folks. Well, in all, in all, in all, it's interesting because but the reason why I brought that up is because Jake's right though, because at, you're watching the film from the perspective of this final hospital. Sure. Um, it is staggering and, jaw dropping when they tell you these numbers at the end at the film, um, because you you don't really get that scope and scale um, throughout it, which is maybe an interesting thing to critic critics criticize in terms of like whether or not they did a good enough job kind of like giving the scope of this, except for the end when they tell you the numbers in terms of performances. Sounds like yeah, it was effective either way. Yeah, it was. It was. Well, it, it's it's so effective that your jaw hits the floor when you mm-hmm. when you see the end of the film. Yeah, um, but Eddie Eddie's great. Chastain's great. Um, it's a true story. Um, I do feel that uh, I agree with the four out of five. It's a really solid film. I want to shout out the filmmaker, by the way. Um, I'm blanking on his, the director's name. Tob- Tobias or Tobias. Um, Tobias. I just want to, Tobias. Tobias. The reason I want to mention him is because um, there's a there's a really cool shot in the beginning. Um, so I'm, I'm in the middle of watching a lot of older films right now, and I'm on a Paul Newman kick. So I just finished The Hustler and Color of Money and Cool Hand Luke. Um, but one of the films that I want to revisit of his is called The Verdict, Sidney Lumet. Um, and there's a scene in The Verdict where the, a camera is zooming in on a character while there's a pivotal moment happening with Paul Newman. So in, the, in this film, if you're if you're a nerd about shots and kind of homages to classics, there's a shot of Eddie at the beginning when he's looking in on a patient as a patient is dying in the hospital, um, which that scene has different meaning later on as the film kind of progresses. And it's literally a Sidney Lumet homage, the same shot, zooming wow. in, long mm-hmm. wonder, really cool stuff. Um, so the filmmaker who made this movie is clearly a, a, a great film fan and was paying homage to arguably one of the greatest directors of all That's time, cool. Sidney Lumet. Um, so if you're into that stuff, you know, keep an eye out for it. It's a cool shot. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I thought it was pretty solid. Eddie to me was the standout. I was yeah. shocked how he was terrifying yeah. and like cold and subtle and just, Oh, it was a very, very strange character. Jake, how is till uh, till is look, it's anyone who is familiar with the story of Emmett till uh, knows going in that this is going to be, uh, a a very 
uh, difficult story to to endure as a as a movie fan. Here's what I liked most about Till. Is that it it focused less, in my opinion, I'm curious to what Kevin thinks, focused less on the tragedy and the 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 outright torture of of this young man who went to see family in Mississippi and uh, was uh, tortured and, and lynched by a group of, uh, of people in Mississippi. Um, uh, it, it, it focuses on how his mother took that tragedy and it became such a watershed moment in the civil rights movement. And look, no one, no one ever wants there to be a tragedy in the first place. You don't want there to have to be a tragedy to, to even need a moment like that. But the, the strength that it must have taken for her as a mother, her as a black woman at that time in America to overcome what she did personally, what she had to, to, to overcome as a person and work to make sure that that doesn't happen to someone else. I really appreciated that that was the focus of the movie. Um, I was not interested in seeing a torture sequence of, uh, of, of a young boy. And I'm glad that they did not really show that outright. I thought it's done in, it's it's weird to say that a moment like that is done well. That's 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 that sounds weird to say. Um, but I, I think it's handled. Is, is tasteful the it's, word? Yes, tasteful. That's 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 a better way. Of, it's, it's not gratuitous. The scene yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um. And and I really like that. I walked in. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I I had to see the film because I was doing the junket. I walked in to that movie kind of dreading it in a way like, Oh, I really don't want it. Cause I mean, no, Heavy. no one, no one, yeah, no one wants yeah. to see, you know, and, and, and that's a story that is particularly personal for a lot of people here in Chicago. Um, but I walked out feeling like, wow, like, you know, like think about what that, what that woman did and how she took the worst possible thing that, that could happen to a human with their child dying and the child dying in a, in a painful, torturous way. And she, literally change the lives of generations. There, there are still lives that are being changed today because she was able to, to pick herself up and rise above. And, and um, I, I love that that was the idea behind the movie. And that was the heart of the movie. And because of that, I, I really, really, really liked this movie. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I want to shout out Daniel Dead, uh, Daniel Deadweiler, who mm-hmm. um, who plays uh, who plays Emmett Till's mother, uh, you know, Oscar worthy. Yeah, and this performance. Okay, I was going to ask. I was going to ask if this was up there. If, if but it, but it, you get more people got to see it. It yeah. with a with a three thousand dollar per uh, per screen average this past weekend. It's going to get lost in the shuffle of of the indie awards dramas if it doesn't start picking up steam. It's got to. Sorry, Kevin, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. I, I, I just her performance to me. I, I'm trying to think of a better performance I've seen this year. I mean, next to Kate Blanchett. I mean, I think what she did in this performance, there are scenes. And, I, you know, I, I got to give the filmmakers credit on this film, film as well, because it's shot incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Um, and like. To a point where you are leaning in on shots um, and it's handled with grace um, and realism and it's raw, it's vulnerable. Um, There are there are moments in this film that are so shocking emotionally, but they are handled in a way uh, like Jake is saying, where you feel hopeful 
for the future, right? In 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 a, in a sense of like Jake was saying, like you're you're dealing with the worst imaginable tra- imaginable tragedy that the mother could go through, right? In that sense, and what she's able to do to turn that around and go, all right, I'm going to make sure the world knows what happened to my son. And there are characters in the in the film that are literally saying to her, "What you did changed my life." She was literally risking her life to make sure that her son, that his death was meaningful to future generations and it would change uh, elements of the civil civil rights and everything. It it was, it was so unbelievably powerful. Now I want to bring her up particularly because there's a scene in the film. It's in the trailers, not a spoiler um, where she's on the stand testifying at the end of the film. And the director uses a wonder in this, in this shot and, and and it's just her testifying. And she's has this line where she says, um, it's hard to describe what a mother knows. Um, and I thought about my mom so much in that moment because for people who haven't seen the movie yet and for people who don't know the story, once Emmett's body was brought back to Chicago, you know, in the movie itself, she has to feel the body to, you know, confirm it's her son because he was so, you know, brutalized. Um, and so, the the point of that scene really comes down to I know I he, she knew her son so well that she knew him based on the touch. And I thought that was such a beautiful way to explain motherhood and the connection you have to your child. Right. And um, I just found that so powerful. And, you know, the idea of her putting those photos of her son on on the cover of the magazine, it's just one of the most selfless, but also important moments in history that I was not fully aware of. I knew the story of Emmett Till. I just did not know much about the mother's story in the path. Um, Obviously it's a historical element, but I think over the years, it's funny that Jake brings up the point about going into the movie and dreading aspects because it's such a tough story. And that is, that is not a wrong way to look at it. I mean, like, you you know, on a Saturday night, if you're going to want to go see a movie, Till is a, is a heavy subject matter. But weirdly, as Jake was saying as well, you walk out feeling incredibly hopeful. Um, it's actually one of the most powerful representations of a mother that I've mm, ever seen on point. screen. Um, I have never seen, in my opinion, a film really capture to the point this film did. It made me appreciate my mom in such a, a, a bigger way than and I'm not saying obviously I appreciated my mom. I love my mom more than anything, but to watch that character do what she did and to watch her perform it the way she did because she's a mother in real life. I want to point out her eyes. Um, When you're watching this film, pay attention to her eyes. They are such a character piece and such an important pivotal aspect to you watching the film. There's even the blinking. I know it sounds strange, but watch her in the wonder in the testifying scene and the way she operates her facial expressions in her eyes. Um, I thought Whoopi Goldberg was great, but I, yeah. I, I, I just found this film to Jake's point to be so much more hopeful and positive in a, in a, in a way of leaving a theater going, wow, I am so honored that that person existed and she did what she did. And now I'm honored to know the story. That's why I love movies. Like I know the Emmett Till story. I did sure. not know the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the yeah. depth of this. And we I was like, that a lot. Yeah. I was thankful. I was like, I was like, thank you for telling the story. Thank you for letting me meet his mother and letting me understand her path and what she did and the risks she took. 
Um, I was so moved by it. I, I think it. I think that's the best takeaway. I have not seen it, and for me, I, similarly, I was like curious if it was gonna if if it was gonna like if it was if it had good. I was waiting to see if it had good reviews, um, or if it was gonna be you know sort of like the awards type performance before I committed to seeing it because the same thing. I was like, I just don't know that I want to sit through. Yeah, like a which I think really is gonna be a lot of people's so, reaction. But now that I'm now that I know that it, it sort of is it's more uplifting than that. Um, I'm more interested to see it than, than and ever. It's, so. And that word is interesting to use because it is such a harsh story. But well, Daniel I think in, inspiring yeah. maybe is the, is a better word for it. Again, yeah. I haven't no, seen it, no. but it sounds like to you guys it's it's an inspiring story. Because honestly, like it's called it Till, is. but I would argue it's <laughs> Till in reference to uh, Emmett's mother. Maybe. 100%. I mean, and oh, not, I mean, I don't not. think it has to be one or the other. It's a, sure. it's a hundred percent Mamie's story. Yeah. I mean, like, and, 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 and obviously the Mamie story is tied to Emmett, yes, of course, yes, yes, but yes. I don't think we need is, to separate them. Yeah. I think it's really about the journey and the, I mean, Mame, that whole storyline is absolutely incredible. And, I, well, and go, I, um, I really think Daniel, De- Danielle Deadweiler is going to be nominated. And I think she deserves the nomination. Yeah, I, really, I, I would yeah, give her I the would, win. Sounds yeah, like the, it's honestly, actress is so stacked right now. You've got her, you've got uh, uh Kate Blanchett, who we're about to talk about in a second and Michelle Yeoh for everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. Like my God, actress is stacked this year. Well, yeah. uh, the blenders have some homework. Go check out Till this weekend, opening wide, um, and that'll bring us to our blend game for this week, uh, which is Kate Blanchett. Who wants to go first? I'll go. Oh, I, I feel like my answer is generic. Does your answer feel generic? I don't know. I I don't think we have the same. I, I don't think okay. any of us have the same one, probably. All right, All right. we're in like a standoff. Okay, okay. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> like a standoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake, what's your, what's your pick? Uh, I'm going with Kate Blanchett as Daisy in uh, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Nice. I love that character. I love the. I mean, look. The only reason that movie works is because of Benjamin's love of Daisy and that love that transpired decades, that love that transpired a lifetime. And the what what Kate Blanchett does with the character Daisy. I mean, she's got to play Daisy over the course. Of an entire life. I mean, think about how much a person changes in that time. And she does so believably. Every time Benjamin meets up with Daisy at a different point in her life, Kate Blanchett feels completely different. She feels like Daisy at a different point. And not just that, but Daisy's relationship with Benjamin has to change because they really are only the same age at one point in their lives. They, they, the, the way they express it is we're meeting in the middle because he's going one way and she's going the other. So not only does she have to perform the character differently, she has to perform opposite Brad Pitt differently. I just think she had a lot of challenges as an actor thrown at her with this role, even though she plays kind of the quote-unquote love interest in the movie i think it's a much more challenging role than people gave her credit for i think that uh she and brad pitt had incredible chemistry um in that film particularly when they were quote-unquote meeting in the middle um i i I adore that movie i i i know i feel like that's one of like uh uh fincher's like lesser appreciated films for sure i think it's i think it's a gorgeous film um eric roth's screenplay the, the 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 cinematography is absolutely gorgeous um And I think but but again, it only works. I mean, it's it's easy to to put all the credit onto Brad and to Fincher. But that movie, I mean, Daisy is the heart of that movie. And it only works if Kate Blanchett or the actor, whoever is the actor pulling off Daisy, in this case, Kate Blanchett, it only works if Daisy works. 
So that's why I chose Benjamin Button. I think that's a great pick, uh, Kevin. If your pick for it's interesting. Like Benjamin Button was was in my head, but I'm gonna go. This is gonna be random. I'm gonna go Nightmare Alley. I was just oh. thinking that she is great. Oh, honestly, in that. I thought Gabe was gonna go Nightmare Alley. That's interesting. No, remember I uh, think mine's kind of generic, but I just her that's performance what I think in Nightmare Alley is probably my. It, it, I mean, I'm picking her, picking it. It's my favorite one because I, first of all, um, I, I like I love Nightmare Alley. I mean, I, I love is probably a strong. One. I really like Nightmare Alley. Um, it's a great movie, underappreciated. It, I know I've said really that good. since it was released, but underappreciated. But her character is so pivotal to the arc and so pivotal to what Bradley Cooper's dealing with. And just this every time. And this is why I chose this because you know, when you watch a film and there's a character that shows up that you just want to, you know, you want want to see the character choose scenery. Right. And like when they're not there, you're thinking about them and going, Oh, I hope they come back. And every single time Bradley Cooper or, or we'd have a scene where she would show up, like I would almost like get up in my seat. I'm like, yes, I can't wait to see what she's going to do here because the character was just so wild and so interesting and, and, and mysterious. And um, it was, it was almost like a shock because I, I don't think I was expecting like a phenomenal character just to show up. Cause she shows up a little bit into the film, right? It's like, it's almost like Gabe's in it, like um, not halfway through, but like, we have the it whole takes beginning about, I don't section. Know, like what it takes seven or eight hours for her to show up. It takes right, right, a while nine, because it's yeah, a, it's it's a bit of an odyssey. The that yeah, story yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, and Gabe and I both like that film. So and and so for me, it's weird because her career has been so interesting. You know, I you could obviously go with the Aviator. You could obviously, I mean, Benjamin Button. I think is a is a, is a wonderful choice. Um, but I was just thinking about her as an actor. I mean, Tar is phenomenal. I thought about Tar. Tar was also one I was kind of wrestling with because that is such a transformative performance. And that's, that's her. A leading that's, role. That, yeah. I would say that, is, that is her movie. And what's interesting is Jake and I both picked supporting roles mm-hmm. um, for her. Because, and I think that there's a, there's a, there's a thing that, that needs to be noted in that is like her performance as a supporting actor is almost more, in my opinion, more impressive than leads mm-hmm. um, in the films that she's in. And like, and, and it, for a movie like Nightmare Alley, which has an insane cast, I mean, I mean, but also it's just a really it's a cinematography driven film score. It's you know, it's a lot of practical effects and sets. And then you have this monstrous performance, mm-hmm. I think, from Kate Blanchett, which just stood out beyond everyone in that film. Willem Dafoe and Tony Collette. Right. Am I right on that? And um, and uh, Bradley Cooper. And, and I just to me, that's the one like right when you uh mentioned we were doing Kate Blanchett. I was like, that's kind of the one that I went to weirdly. Yeah. I don't know why it, it, it is. It, it's a ra- it's random. And it's also probably, I'm probably overlooking a zillion of her other performances. She doesn't like really, Elizabeth and she stuff, doesn't really put in like a boring performance. You know no, what I mean? Like she, like whatever character you give her, she always fun, gives it layers, gives it, gives it something exciting. So it's, she's yeah. hard to pick mine. Um, I struggle with as well. There's definitely some holes in, in her filmography for me, I'm sure there's some here or there that like I haven't mm-hmm. seen or need to catch up on. Sure. Um, one that came to mind, I'd want to rewatch it because I don't even remember how much she's in it. Um, but her in The Talented Mr. Ripley, I think, is yeah. <laughs> fantastic. I love that character. And that's one of those characters that I feel like you you can see Kate Blanchett play that character in so many other roles, that kind of like mm-hmm. uppity, high class uh, sort of uh, character. Um, she's brilliant in it. What I went with, which I said feels kind of generic, but it's it's important to me. And I think it's incredibly powerful 
is her role as Galadriel in sure. uh, the Lord of the Rings. Sure. I would point are you, are you to, saying like in terms of like like taking it as like the trilogy? Well, so we do the performance. I don't know that I would pick a sp- specific movie. I or think not. you just say just I think you just it's fair to just say Lord of the Rings. Her is I, I think when, when it comes to actors and their performances, if it's a character, I think it's safe to just yeah. pick that character. For me, I, I point to the fact that she opens the movie. She is like yeah. her ability and just the voiceover to yeah make us feel like we're in this completely yeah. different plane of existence particularly because those normally i i hate voiceovers off the top of a movie yeah. but that one works so i didn't mean to interrupt you but like no she makes something so great that is a very specific thing i hate in movies yeah. but it's, she it's, it's a mixture it. of her of her voice and the score yeah. the way yes. that they interplay yeah. um just feels like this tale is unwinding before you um i think that she's unique in that she she can give that very soft vo but she could also be that really kind of like the you know what an elf needs to be this elf yeah. needs to be this sort well, she of does other, when she explodes otherworldly beauty and all that but then also terrifying mm-hmm. and she's right. able to do that and and she, i mean she's been commanding as a performer i think early on like yeah. elizabeth was what like yeah in their first like five years that she sort yeah. of like, she, she's been she's been a leading woman for a long time and capable of that and Lord of the Rings was not that far. I don't think she'd only been acting professionally, you know, for like a decade or so. Um, So I think it's a unique role, similar to what we talk about Gandalf and how that sort of gave us the, um, that's the, that's the blueprint for what a wizard is in a magical Mm -hmm. kind of world. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Galadriel is, is the blueprint for like what the the sort of high elf um, in the magical world is. And it's because of her mainly, I think. Um, and Rings of Power is kind of giving a little bit more layering and depth to her performance now that we're learning a little bit more yeah. about who she was. Yeah, and even in that, they the they give the uh, they open with the VO, mm-hmm. which uh, which I which mm-hmm. I loved. Um, yeah, so like I said, maybe that's kind of generic, but I love that performance. No, I think it's a great. Yeah, I I like what you said about the juxtaposition between the the calm and and because I think Liv Tyler or Liv Tyler had that as well. I thought in in Lord of the Rings, like like there was like a I had that right, right? Liv Tyler, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there was this like your and Gabe, you kind of hit it on the head. It's like there was this like beautiful sweetness to the character, but there was always this underlying aspect that you mm-hmm. know she could yeah. mess oh, you yeah. up and like and i think to me that's even harder to play because you're basically playing you're playing it subtly but you also have to understand and give the audience the idea that you are powerful right but at the same time with grace in a very yeah. interesting way because that character was so beautiful and just in the way she moved and the way she you know the way she like, had her presence was but she was like, like a really that, that character could mess people up man yeah. like that was like she was great in that role Beautiful. Um, I am going to place a bet that Sean did send in his pick. As I mentioned at the top of the show, he's in a secret destination that we can't reveal or why. I know what it is. Um, so, But I don't know if he has time because uh, he's very busy this week. Hopefully, I'm about to throw it to Sean's pick. What is going on, guys? It's Sean, and I'm coming to you from a top secret location this week. Uh, I was able to visit the set of... Ooh, I actually can't tell you what set I was able to go visit. Uh, hopefully sometime soon I'll be able to share that, although it might not be till next year. There's your hint. Um, uh, we are doing hashtag Kate Blanchett blend. The boys gave their picks and I am going to go with, yeah, this was this was hard because she's so good in a lot of movies, um, but doesn't get the starring roles that she should, that she probably deserves because she's as outstanding as she is. And I know, 
everybody's sort sort of talking about Tar um, and how this is a a leading role for her and something that's super impressive. And and um, so for that reason, because she's normally part of some great ensembles, which is why I might have gone with something like Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, or even I was going to choose Benjamin Button because I love her chemistry with Brad Pitt. Um, but I have to go with uh, Blue Jasmine. And I'm not a huge Woody Allen fan, even outside of all the controversial reasons to uh, to not like Woody Allen. It's just his films are really hit and miss for me. Um, when he's great, uh, like in movies like Matchpoint, uh, I think he's phenomenal. Um, obviously, Manhattan and you know some of his earlier classics Blue Jasmine, I can't quite figure out if it's his script is incredibly good uh, and it and then Kate Blanchett just ripped into it or if Kate Blanchett took a decent script and elevated it to God tier. But she is outstanding uh, in this very difficult part. And, you know, it's um, uh, the type of role that Woody Allen tends to write every once in a while, which is someone who's at a, an emotional crossroads. And in this case, uh, Kate Blanchett is playing uh, Jasmine, the main character, and she's a New York socialite who heads out to San Francisco to sort of lean on her sister for uh, emotional support, for the different problems that she's going through. But there are so many layers to this character that Kate Blanchett just beautifully peels away uh, as the movie keeps going. Um, I, I remember being a very lean sort of 97 minute movie and Blanchett just bringing everything up to a crescendo uh, and, and just hammering home the emotional impact of this movie. Uh, if, if you're not a huge Woody Allen fan, and I can understand that, give this one a try at the very least, because um, it's a perfect marriage of script and performance. It's it's easily one of Kate Blanchett's best performances, greatest roles, and um, you know it's tough to say that, that that I enjoyed it that much because it's um, it's a difficult story, you know, and what she's going through. I, and I'm not saying that it's like heavy, heavy drama, but like the stuff that she's going through in particular, and it's played for laughs in some instances. And sometimes Kate Blanchett just makes uncomfortable drama into something that that she breaks the tension with her performance. And that happens a, a number of times in Blue Jasmine. Um, she's riveting. She's just she's the center of attention in every single scene of this film. And it's, like I said, one of her greatest performances. I'm pretty sure she got nominated for an Oscar for it. I didn't look up uh, beforehand whether this was the film that got her nominated. I believe she got nominated for Carol, too. Gabe, knock this all off uh, if all of this is inaccurate. I don't want the fans uh, listening to the show to know how little I know about film. Um, but for, for my pick, I'm going with uh, Blue Jasmine, which is, without a doubt, Kate Planchette's. Uh, strongest performance uh, in, a, in a Woody Allen film that I can highly recommend. And so you guys go check it out uh, immediately. Again, I'll be back with the boys very, very soon once I'm able to return from my shh, top secret location on a set that I can't talk to you guys about. I uh, hope it's a good show this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I will see you back on the show very, very soon. For next week. You want to talk about commanding, powerful performances. I got us back-to-back, I think, picks that you guys are going to be like, we didn't play this? How have we not played this? Next week, write in using hashtag Anthony Hopkins blend and let us know your favorite performance. From the like we're all going to have the same Okay, I'm going to say, can, can this be one we take where, out you silence. know, sometimes you yeah, take can silence we take out? silence out? Yeah, we have to. I feel like it would be... You can't pick Silence anyway, because it's just iconic, but... 
I would, honestly, honestly, I, if we don't take it out, that's what I'm picking. It'd be my pick too. We'll take it out. That's like one of my favorite performances of all time. All right, we'll take it out. Obviously, we'll we'll honor it. We'll 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 mention it. But like we, yeah. To me, this just got infinitely more interesting. Now that Silence of the Lambs is out, we'll take out Silence. It's easy. We'll take out Silence of the Lambs. But right in. Uh, Ooh, using hashtag, I gotta pick. Using the hashtag Anthony Hopkins blend, or I have mine. Send us an email, realblend at cinemablend.com. Kevin's mine's going Thor Ragnarok. I, mine's a one word title if anyone wants to figure it out. All right, Thor. no more hits. Thor. Thor. <laughs> um, that's our show this week. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for uh, participating. Uh, reminder if you're listening to this early enough on Friday, we are doing a giveaway on Twitter. Go check. Um, the real blend account. It'll be the pin tweet. If it's still, if it's still the pin tweet, you can still submit. Uh, when I pick the winners, I'll, I'll remove it from the pin tweet. So that's how you'll know. Um, head there. You just got to be registered in the U S with movies anywhere. 13 or older five codes for barbarian. Have fun with it. Um, the mail or I'm sorry, the premium episode, which is dropping on Monday is going to be a mailbag. It's the end of the month already. We're heading into November soon. Um, and so we have a mailbag answering your questions. Oh, I love mailbag. Check the description below for more information on how to sign up for Roblin Premium. Um, but until next time, you can find us on socials at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach. And he doesn't get a plug. He doesn't get a plug. Hey, he did the interview. Ron Howard. Damn it. At hockey pads. Damn it. At Real Blint. Uh, but until next time. Fablemans, please, for the love of God, Fablemans. We need something for James Gunn now. We need a James Gunn ending. Yeah.